0: The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. All right. Hey, good morning, Fathom Church. Great to see you this morning. Uh, thanks to Don and Royce for carpeting this stage. Thanks to our anonymous donor who gave us money to pay for the carpet as well, um, they who shall not be named, okay? Uh, but hey, if you want to give us some money, we'll figure out something to do with it. So that's just a little little bonus for you, Merry Christmas. Uh, hey, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please open those things up to uh, James chapter five. James five is where we're going to be. Grab uh, those hardback black ones under every single chair. Open a phone, open a tablet, some sort of device. James five is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Um, you noticed as you came in, on every chair is a little angel tree prayer list. Uh, just uh, if you if you missed the the hallway angel tree stuff, today's angel tree Sunday. We're given all of our gifts in. They're sorting. and then uh, our shippers and our deliverers are going to pick them up and take them with them today. But we also made this, we did this last year. This is the the first name of every inmate who we are buying for their children this year. So all those gifts that are being sent out, these are the first names. We want to protect their last name, but these are the first names of every inmate. And I want to commend our church to pray for these men and women who are uh, of the least of these the forgotten, especially this time of year. So uh, I would just commend to you, please bring that home, shove it in your Bible or whatever your prayer journal, take that with you and pray for these men and women by name every day this month leading up to Christmas. I would just encourage you towards that. I'm committing to that. Uh, The elders and the staff, we're committing to that. Would love for our whole church to say, hey, we are praying and not just like, hey, we're gonna pray for you guys, but like actually doing it. You ever say that to somebody, hey, I'll pray for you and then you never do it. Okay, let's not be that type. Okay, so so pocket that thing, bring it with you, and let's pray over these men and women that that the Lord would move and uh, in a mighty way uh, this Christmas season in their lives. So uh, take that home with you. All right, here we go. James chapter five. We have two weeks left in our study of James. Okay. Only two weeks. We have made uh, our, our, our way through this entire book. Uh, and I want to remind you of the context of this book, okay? The context. James is the half brother of Jesus. He's the half, I think we got a couple over here, y'all. There's a couple over here. Um, James is Jesus' half brother. So, like, he and Jesus shared a bunk bed. following me? That's how close this guy James is to Jesus Christ. And James is now a pastor to a church in Jerusalem. It's actually first church Jerusalem, like the first one. You've heard of first Baptist or first Nazarene or first Methodist. This is the first church. He's the pastor there. Okay. And those, uh, those Christians of his church are all Jewish people. They're Jews who have converted to Christianity and now persecution has come to these early Christians and they are being scattered all around the ancient Near East. Okay, so uh, they're being persecuted for their faith, for their conversion from Judaism to following Jesus. And James is writing this letter, this epistle that we have been studying to encourage them to keep practicing their faith. In the light of persecution, in the light of struggle, in the light of suffering, be steadfast. Stay with this stuff. Keep following Christ. And, and, and so we've been seeing this, this question of like, how do we know that our faith is genuine? Like we came, all these Christians, have have be, become Christians. They, they've put their faith in Jesus and now it's being tested. And, and, and James is saying, hey, how do, how do you know that the faith that you have is indeed genuine, is indeed saving faith? And, and today in, in our, our, our section, James is going to move to the question, like, how long is it going to take before we really know this? He's, he's answering the question, how long is this Christian stuff going to take? How long before we know whether we have genuine faith or not? Well, gosh, Pastor James, I'd love to show you that my faith is genuine, but how long is that gonna take? Today, we're gonna talk about waiting and patience. So just by a show of hands real quick, does anybody here like to wait for things? No, ain't nobody's, anybody's like, man, I hope, I'm gonna gonna click that box on the Amazon thing for like 600 day shipping, right? I just, you ever see that when you buy something on Amazon, they give you the option for longer, free, but longer shipping. Anybody click in that thing? Maybe you're a little conscious about the boxes and you want like, I'm not talking about that. You like actually wait. No, nobody likes to wait. No one likes to wait. And our whole world is programmed for you to never have to wait. Today's world is programmed so that you have to wait the least amount of time ever. So um, this summer, I I took a little bit of a road trip. I did a wedding for one of my neighbors in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So suffering for the Lord. It was beautiful, okay? It was beautiful. We decided to make a little family trip of it. We took our daughter, Harper, who's six. It's a vacation if you don't take your kids. It's a trip if you do, right? Am I right on that one, parents? It's a trip, okay? So we drove to Jackson Hole. Eight-hour drive to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. First two hours, beautiful. Last two hours, beautiful. Middle four hours, terrible. Just terrible. I mean, southwestern Wyoming is disgusting, y'all, okay? If you've ever been, it's just really, really bad now i had only been to jackson hole one other time in my life and it was when i was about harper's age when i was about 6 or 7 years old and, and 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 i was reflecting on the two road trips comparing and contrasting and you know what i did when i was 6 and we were driving that 8 hours to jackson hole you know what i did to pass the time nothing we stared out the window That was all we could do, which wasn't so bad at the front end and the tail end, but those middle four hours were hell, right? I mean, that's all we had. It was awful. That was my six-year-old trip to Wyoming, and I was reflecting, that is not at all what Harper experienced this summer. Hers was completely different than mine was because she had an iPad fully loaded with movies, right? She had her own Bluetooth headphones that connected to that iPad so Marcy and I didn't have to listen to Frozen on repeat the whole time we were driving. Right? She had activity books and games. At one point, she had one of our phones back there, and she was playing video games on the drive to Wyoming. And in the middle of the trip, my lovely daughter, who I love, had the audacity to ask me the question, Daddy, how long is this going to take? And I almost turned into my dad. Like I almost had a Tom Martin moment where I was like, hey, back in my day, right? Like I had this moment of fury. But I realized that, that, that Harper is living in a world where waiting, where, where boredom, where slowness is almost considered a sin. To have to wait for something is as bad as it gets for some of us. And it's not just with six-year-olds, y'all, okay? I mean, it's easy to make fun of Harper a little bit, but have you ever not bought something on Amazon because it wasn't Prime? You like saw that it was like, how long is that gonna take? Three days? I can't be waiting that long. That's a bit crazy. Did you know that? It's kind of insane. You ever pull up to a restaurant on a Friday night, walk on in there and, and ask, hey, how long is this gonna be? And then when they tell you it's like 45 minutes, you're infuriated? You're like, are you serious? I'm taking my business elsewhere. And then like a crazy person, you get in your car and you drive around to try and find another restaurant on a Friday night where there's nobody there. It's like the white whale. It ain't gonna happen. Here's one. You ever talk to your phone? Not, not like uh, talking on your phone. Nobody does that anymore, but they used to talk on them, Okay. I'm not talking like talking to Siri or Alexis. I'm saying talking like to your phone, right? Like something is, you're trying to pull up a photo or something It's not loading fast enough and you go, come on. (laughs) You ever talk to it? Talk to your device? Come on now, hurry up, right? Do you ever try to download or like a video starts buffering? You're like, are you kidding me? How long is this gonna take? Seven seconds? I don't have that kind of time. Right? So you close the app, you relaunch the app, you refresh the window, and it's still not going. You're like, what's wrong with the Wi-Fi in here? You ever been there? We, as a culture, have become inoculated with the idea that waiting is bad. We've been drugged with the idea that to wait is bad. Our whole world has bought into this. In an attempt to make things easier and more streamlined and more convenient, we have been led to a place where we have a lack of patience and that resulted in a lack of resilience. Our lack of patience has turned into a lack of resilience. And listen to me, it's a disease. It's a disease. And these are just silly things, right? I'm talking about silly things, but what about the more important things? where patience and waiting is required? What about your kids? What about patience in your marriages? What about patience with school or with work? What about patience in hard things? What about patience in sufferings or trials or even sin struggles? Today, James is talking about patience and here's his main point. I'll put it up. Genuine faith requires patience. We've been talking about genuine faith. It, it requires us being doers of the word, not merely hearers of the word. It requires us being, uh, not showing partiality, not, not, not being quick to speak, not being quick to get angry. And today, James says genuine faith is going to require some patience, it's going to require some waiting if you wanna make it to the end of this life with your faith intact, it will require patience. Listen, we do not serve a microwave God and he does not have hot pocket dreams for your life. Walking with Jesus is more like a crock pot. It's, it's like throwing all the ingredients in and that's got to take some time. It's going to take more time. It's going to take some marination. It's going to have to sit there and it's going to require patience if you want the goodness out of it. So this is where our text is going to take us. Let's dig in this morning to James chapter five. We're going to jump in at verse seven. So James five, look with me at verse seven. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters until the coming Of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So James starts this section off with an imperative an imperative is a command. And James does this more than any other New Testament author where he gives us imperatives. He gives us commands. He tells us what to do. And his first two words in this, the imperative are these two words, be patient, be patient. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be patient? Well, we got to do a little work. We got to unearth some of the grammar here in the Greek. That that word that is translated patience in our English Bible is actually a compound Greek word called makrothumos. Makrothumos. Okay, the word thumos uh, is where we get the English word uh, thermometer. Thumos. Okay, it means heat or like a temperature or anger or passion. And macro, macro thumos, macro means long, as in like a long time, okay? So this is be patient. Macrothumos means to be long to anger or to be slow to become angry. God is very often in our Old Testament described like this, that our God is slow to anger. He's patient with us but James is commanding you and me you and I to be slow to anger to be patient now now you, that what that means and you have to catch this is that James is assuming he is assuming that we will be in a position or a situation where where becoming thumos is a real possibility you don't need to be patient if there's no opportunity for you to become angry Okay, the command to be patient assumes that there will be situations in our lives where patience, where where, we're being slow to anger is absolutely necessary. And this is why our Bibles have the heading, if yours is like mine, for this little section that says something like patience in suffering. It's not just patience in a vacuum, but it's patience when you need it. It's patience in suffering because you don't need patience when everything's awesome. You don't need patience when everything's Amazon Prime. You need patience when they can't get that dang oven off a ship in the port of LA. You need patience when those micro trips aren't getting fed into the vehicles and you're like, what am I gonna drive? You need patience when you get that phone call from that doctor who said the the next couple years are gonna be rough. You need patience in those moments. So how do we do this? How do we be patient? How do we macrothumos? okay? You say be patient, but I'm not patient. So how do I become patient? How do I learn patience? Here's the problem. The only way to learn patience is to be patient, right? You only learn to wait by waiting. You don't like that, do you? I don't like that. You kidding me? Waiting is the only way to learn how to wait. Okay, we could say the best time to learn patience is 20 years ago. Second best time is now. You got to learn to be patient. You can't learn patience by just sitting in a chair and coming and listening to a preacher. You're not going to learn patience by sitting in a classroom and learning it from a professor. Okay? You you cannot learn patience from a book or listening to a podcast or watching a YouTube video. That's not how you can learn. You can learn some tips and tricks about patience, but you don't learn how to be patient unless you're put in a position where you need patience. You can only learn it from needing it. And you only need it when you're in a situation where being slow to anger is necessary. From small things all the way up into the big things. And this is why God puts us in situations, hundreds at times of situations every single day where he can grow us in our patience, where he can grow us in our patience in the little things so that when we need patience in the big things, in the macro things, we're trained for it. We'll be ready. So this is what James starts with. He says, be patient. That's the imperative for this whole text. Be patient. Then he uses an illustration. We just read it, so we don't need to read it again. But back in verse one and two, he says, see how the farmer waits. He brings up a farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. So what is patience? Here's my first point of the day. The first point, there is an action of patience. There's an action of patience. This is why James, I think, uses this illustration of a farmer because because farmers aren't passive. They are active members of creating or harvesting or seeding or whatever in their crops. They're active. The farmer never comes to the field and just says, all right, God, I'm just going to wait on you. Why don't you do something? I'd like some fruit. Come on, God, do something here. No farmer would do that, okay? The farmer is actually active, doing everything he or she can, sun up to sundown, digging and plowing and seeding and weeding and watering, doing everything that they can do to cultivate fruit. But at the end of the day, the farmer realizes that they must wait patiently for rains to come. That's his illustration. What is the action of patience? Well, it's not this passive kind of resignation to just let God do what God does, but rather it's an active participating in waiting on the Lord. And an active waiting is different than passive resignation. They're very different. Farmers know that in order to yield fruit tomorrow, you have to plant seeds today. Let me ask this. How many of us pray to God for fruit and He gives us a handful of seeds? You ever do that? God, I want this thing. God, I need this thing. God, this person needs this thing. And He doesn't give you the thing, He gives you the way to get to the thing. And then we go, no, 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 God, uh, I don't think you heard me correctly. I didn't want seeds. Okay, I wanted fruit. I I prayed for spiritual maturity. I want that. I want maturity. I want vitality. I want intimacy with you. I want to harvest. I don't want to seed and weed and feed. I just want to reap. But this isn't how our faith lives work. Remember the main idea here. Genuine faith requires patience. And let me just be really honest with you, okay? I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years. So for some of you, I got you beat. For some of you, uh, you've got me lapped, okay? After 20 years of walking with Jesus, faith stuff never comes quickly. It might seem like it comes quickly at times, but then you realize that you just got over the first hump and there's many more to go. This kind of stuff never comes quickly. And even though you will find thousands of methods that will lie to you and tell you something completely different. No, 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 no. You just do this mission trip. You go on this mission trip and you will grow. It'll be, you'll be deep. No, no, no. Just join this Bible study. Join this discipleship program and you'll take off. But there's an action of patience and it's actively waiting on the Lord. How many of you who've been following Jesus for a minute or more, have ever said to yourself, "I should be further along than I am right now." Anybody? Glad it's not just me. It's because this stuff requires time. This stuff requires waiting. It requires patience. And I think, I wonder how many of us just give up on it too soon? Just kind of quit too soon. Because here's, maybe this will sound familiar. Here's what will happen. Uh, you you, you say, find yourself, especially this time of year, coming into the new year, hey, I should really read my Bible. I should really get into God's word. And then you do it for a week or two. And when you don't have deep, meaningful experiences each and every single morning in the word, you're like, this isn't working. And you move on. And you're out. Or when it comes to church, church life, Okay. We're always kind of hopping around, looking for a better, better place, always kind of looking around for that spiritual silver bullet that might strike us. And after three or four weeks, we complain because we don't have lifelong friends and we don't have deep, meaningful relationships. And did you hear that sermon? He made another frozen joke. Come on, man. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's indicative that we want it now. We want everything right now. It's baked into our culture, everybody. I want it right now. And if it's not happening exactly right now, the way that I want it to happen, then this must not work for me. It must be somebody else's truth because it certainly can't be my truth or else it'd be working for me. But James points to the farmer actively waiting. I don't know where I heard this quote, but I'll just take credit for it, okay? Um, It's not for me, but... Uh, Here's the quote. Most people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. This life is not a sprint. It's gonna require some waiting. It's gonna require some patience. And if you wait, and if you're patient, you'll be shocked at where you find yourself in a decade. Be patient like a farmer. There's something that just happens in the waiting. James is saying, you got to wait on the Lord in your hardships, in your trials, in your sufferings, and in those valleys, in the waiting, God is working in the midst of it. So there's this action of patience, but there's more in the text, okay? James goes on, verse nine, follow along with me. He then says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So here's the second imperative. Be patient and do not grumble. Don't grumble. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, if you know your Old Testament at all, do you remember where God's people are accused for grumbling? Remember this? It's in the Exodus story. Okay? Okay. In the story of the Exodus, God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt. The plagues fall on Egypt, okay? All the plagues. Moses does his little let my people go shtick, right? You've seen this thing, okay? The people come to the Red Sea. The God, God parts the waters. They walk on dry ground. Uh, and then they're on their way to the promised land, the land that God has promised them, to the place where God will bless them. They're on the way to his blessings and his promises, but that six-week journey turns into a 40-year period of waiting. Why? As they start grumbling. They grumble about water. We're so thirsty. To the God who just split the waters, by the way. And then God miraculously provides water from a rock in the desert, and they grumble about food. They do. They're like, it was better when we were in slavery. At least we had pots full of food. And then God answers their grumbling by miraculously raining down on them manna, bread from heaven. And then they grumble about it not being meat, which sounds like a great grumble in my opinion, okay? (laughs) But they grumble about it not being meat. And then God provides them with so much quail meat, they're getting sick on it. They grumble all the more. But the Israelites model for us is point two this morning. There's an attitude of patience. There is an action of patience. Okay. It's this, it's this active waiting, but then there's this attitude of patience that comes alongside this. I was thinking about this week when I was in high school, I went to uh, a young life camp in Minnesota. Okay. I went to a young life camp up there, in Minnesota lakefront, property. If you've ever been to a young life camp, it's like the best of the best. It's like Disneyland for Christian adults. That's kind of what young life camp feels like. But, but I, I got there the uh, lakefront property. They have ski boats for wakeboarding and tubing. There was a zip line that went like from a tree down into the water, like crazy stuff. There were hot tubs outside of every single cabin. Okay. So first night there, me and a bunch of other Coloradans show up and the, the, me and the other guys, we decide to hit the hot tub that first night. Okay. Um, And being from Colorado, some of you are from here, some of you are not, but being from Colorado, one of the things that we take for granted is a lack of insects. (laughs) Right? If you're from another place, you're like, yeah. If you're from here, you're like, there was like six wasps last summer, you know? (laughs) Like, it's just not a big deal, okay? But we just don't have to deal with insects the same way that the rest of the world does, all right? Um, But in Minnesota, on the banks of a lake, (laughs) in the heat of the summer... The mosquitoes are prolific. They're like birds that will eat you. Okay, I don't know if you know this, but mosquitoes are from the devil. Okay, even more so than cats. All right. And that's saying a lot. All right. But uh, frozen joke, cat joke, check them off. We can keep going. Okay. So me and my boys were hanging out in the hot tub and I didn't put on any bug spray because I'm from Colorado. Deet? I hadn't even heard of it at that point, okay? Uh, but I got back to my cabin after hanging out in the hot tub, and I looked in the mirror, and I had mosquito bites all over my entire body except where my swim trunks were, front and back, and they were all a little swollen at that moment. I looked like pepperoni pizza. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was insane. And, and, and the next day, the itching was almost unbearable. I mean, it was almost unbearable. And I'm just not the guy who's got the self-control not to scratch. Anybody else here? You know you're not supposed to, and you're like doing everything you can not to, but I just got to scratch those itches, all right? And that's me, okay? How many of you know that when you scratch mosquito bites, it feels so good? (laughs) Oh, it feels so good in the moment. But it only makes things worse. It's worse. This is grumbling. James is saying that, especially in hardship, in times of suffering, it's all too easy to have this attitude of grumbling or complaining. Now, he's not talking about being honest about your feelings or processing or mourning the state that you're in. He's talking about grumbling. Here, That's a very specific word. It's this attitude. And while it might feel good in the moment to gripe and to moan and to grumble about whatever your situation is, in the end, it makes it worse. Grumbling never makes you suffer better. James goes a step further. He, I don't know if you noticed this. He said that you have a, a judge who's watching don't grumble, you have a judge who's watching. What he's saying is that you might be presenting externally as a patient person while remaining internally impatient in your grumbling. But there's a judge and he sees, he sees it. So how do you battle these grumblings then? Because it's all so easy when you've got the itch to just get after it. Well, we do battle against the grumblings by remembering. You battle grumbling with remembering. You remember what God has done. You remember that he's not done with you yet. And James gives us next these these models of remembrance. I'll call these, point three, the analogies of patience. He gives us analogies of patience in verses 10 and 11. Look at this real quick. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So last week, Eric uh, Shelley, one of our elders, preached and he talked about growing up uh, in his room, having posters up on the walls. And that was my room too. Growing up uh, as a child, I had posters all over my wall. And I wanted to be, as a kid, I wanted to be a, a rock star or a sports star. That's what I wanted, okay? And so if you would have come to my room, you would have seen posters all over my walls of my heroes of those things, Okay, and I can remember sitting on my bed, looking at those posters, staring at them, drawing inspiration for myself from those posters. Michael Jordan, poster. Yeah. Emmett Smith, poster. Can't be a Cowboys fan anymore, but you gotta be there, okay? I had a Metallica poster. Billy Ray Cyrus with a full-blown mullet. I'm not so proud of that one, but achy, breaking heart was a big deal. Poster, okay? What James is saying here is that when we're struggling to be patient in our sufferings, we have posters to look at. The prophets, poster. Job, goodness. You need A better example of patience and suffering, poster. We consider their patience, their steadfastness in suffering. And I think James is just giving us a few of these analogies of patience, okay? Because within the church, even here at Fathom Church, there are posters all over this room. In the body of Christ, there are posters. What are you struggling with? Struggling to find a job? We got posters of that you struggling with an infertility thing. Man, we got stories and posters out the wazoo of that. You got a wayward child, we've got a poster for you. Your friends are getting married and you feel like you're not even close, poster. You got somebody who's just been diagnosed and it's not looking good. And yeah, we have posters for you. James is saying, you've got some posters. There's some guys in the Bible that you can look at who had steadfastness in in, in light of immense suffering. And we've got people sitting right around you in the body of Christ who can be posters for you in almost any trial. We draw inspiration and encouragement to remain steadfast in our suffering, to be patient when we see it in others. The action of patience, the attitude of patience, the analogies of patience. And last, another A, the aim of patience. The aim of patience. I wanna circle back to verses seven and eight because this one might be the most important one I think of the morning. Look again at verse seven. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. And scoot down to verse eight. You also be patient, Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The aim of patience might be the most important point of this sermon because the aim of patience, the aim of all of this stuff is the fact that there's a coming of the Lord. The Lord is coming. For 2,000 years, the heart of the believer in Christ is set, is fixed on the return of Jesus Christ to make all things new. It's the aim of all of our patience. The Lord is coming. So when I was five years old, five years old, my dad taught me to ride a bike. Uh, and then last year, uh, I actually got to do this for my daughter. So I taught Harper to ride a bike, and that brought back this memory of when I learned to ride a bike. Uh, I had a bike with training wheels, and I killed it with the training wheels. This is before those striders and all the different weird things that you're trying to get your kids to balance on. Listen, this is I just rode with training wheels, like everybody, like every good American child did, okay? <laughs> I had training wheels, uh, but, but my dad said uh, I could only ride on the sidewalk and in our driveway with training wheels. If I wanted to ride in the street with the other kids on my block, I had to learn how to ride without training wheels. So I wanted to learn, okay? So dad uh, did kind of the typical thing. He took off the training wheels and then he got me on the bike and he held the back of my seat. You've seen this in the movies? Some of this have, they've done, parents have lied to you like this, right? Okay, well, he grabbed a hold of my, I'm not letting go. Right? The best lie you'll ever tell your children. Okay? But he grabbed a hold of my seat, and he would run alongside me as I pedaled. And then soon, he got to the point where I had that balance thing down, and he'd release it, but he'd keep running, pretending. Again, deception, all right? Um but he kept running and then eventually I got going faster than he could run and I was gone and he was just standing in the driveway with a big grin watching me ride my bike. And I got to do this with Harper this past summer. It's really a fun and delightful thing. Now, on the day that I learned to ride a bike and I could finally move from sidewalk to street, okay, there was a variable in the street that dad didn't prepare me for. And I'm a little bitter about it because... Because in the street, there was on the sides of the street, like this patches of, of loose gravel and sand. You ever seen this in the street? Yes. Okay, I'm not talking to, yeah, you've seen this? Okay. And I was, I was riding now in the street and I was confident, maybe a bit overconfident, because I had one point training wheels that both supported me and kept me from dying. And now they're gone. And so I'm riding faster and faster and I'm making turns sharper and sharper. And I hit the patch of gravel. And I tried to correct and turn my wheel, but the bike slips out from under me and I go down and I scrape up my leg and my arm, big old raspberries, bloody in the gutter all along the asphalt. And the fun and freedom of riding my bike had led me to a place of significant pain. You ever been there? And immediately I start to cry. Actually, if my mother was here, she would say, you were not crying you were shrieking, <laughs> but I immediately started to cry and shriek and call out for my dad, just wailing. I didn't want him before, but then as soon as I needed him, I wanted him, and I started screaming for for him. And here's what happened: he came running, and he came to me and he grabbed a hold of me, and he picked me up in his arms and he wrapped me in a hug and he kissed me on my head. And he carried me inside and he wiped my tears and he got out that Bactine and he started spraying down my legs and my arms and he cleaned my wounds. This is the aim of patience. It's this, my dad's coming for me. My dad is coming to get me. My dad is coming. He's coming to help me. My dad is coming. My dad is coming. That's the aim of our patience. Our dad is coming. Revelation 21, starting in verse one says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Church, our dad is coming. We're moving toward the day where there are no more tears. Where there's no more mourning, where there's no more loss, where there's no more sadness, where there's no more death. And that's why James says, Be patient. He's saying, Hold tight. You're almost there. Be patient. You're almost there. Be patient. It won't be that much longer every bit of difficulty and stress and suffering and weariness and depression and anxiety and lustful perversions, it's all gonna be over one day. There will no longer need to be patience there because our dad will pick us up off the pavement and he'll hold us in his arms and he'll wipe away our tears and he'll heal our wounds. The Lord is coming. Action of patience, attitude of patience, analogies of patience, and the aim of patience. Genuine faith. Listen, genuine faith requires patience. And so as we close up, here's what I know. Here's what I know. For some of us today, this is what you need to hear. Like for some of us in here today, this is something that you should file away because in a week or in a month or in five months or in a year, you're going to need this. But for for many in this room today, this is what you need today. This is what you need right now. For some of us, this isn't the most wonderful time of the year. For some of us, it's a crippling depression. Depression. For others of us, there's a sexual perversion that you're just unable to break yourself away from. For others, maybe it's addiction issues. For others, you've got mega doubts. Maybe there's family strife or a medical issue or financial crisis. And you may have just barely dragged yourself in here, not sure of how you're going to get through this, how you're going to survive this Suffering. And to you this morning, I think this is God through the Holy Spirit saying to you, no, no, no. I'm at work. I'm at work. Hang in there. I'm accomplishing things in you right now. Just hang on. Hold tight. Don't give up. Your Father is coming. So what I want to do as we end is I want to pray specifically for those of you who have something that's requiring patience right now, from a big thing to a small thing. And if you're in that place, here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna We're gonna turn the lights down. I'm gonna pray like normal. We're gonna close our eyes. But if you need to receive some help on patience, I just ask for you to, with your hands in your lap, turn your palms to the ceiling, just open up your hands. Just instead of having closed hands, have open hands, releasing whatever it is and having open hands to receive what God might be doing in that. So just posturing yourself in a position to receive From the Lord, His ministry to you. So we're gonna bring those lights down now and let's pray together. Our Father, I'm thankful for your servant James, who he doesn't beat around the bush, he doesn't pull any punches, he doesn't give us a bait and a switch. But rather, he gives us the truth that that in this life, we're going to need patience. We're going to need to wait on the Lord. And some of us today, we we just don't feel that as acutely. And some of us today, we're on our our faces before you, Jesus, because we need you to help us. We need your steadfastness to give us what we need to make it. And so with hands open, Lord, we, we ask for you to fill them. We want to release the things that we're clinging to. We want to be open to receive what you have for us, the work that you're trying to accomplish in us in this season. And Father, we, we do want to, to confess what the church has confessed for two millennia, and that's Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, our Father. Our aim must not just be on temporal alleviation of suffering, but it must be on the eternal. Come pick us up. Come dust us off. Come wipe our tears. Come, Lord. So build this into us, this this Christmas season. Advent is a time to wait on the Lord. I pray that we would wait collectively as a church on what you're doing in the midst of our trials and our sufferings and the areas where we need to be patient. Grow us in this because of your great love for us, our Father. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit.